Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak of authors of both fiction and nonfiction books. I'm Lenny Picker, and today I'm speaking with editorial director and author Jessica Walliser of Quarto's imprint, Cool Springs Press, the sponsor of today's podcast. Good afternoon, Jessica. Hi, Lenny. How are you? Hang it in. Would you start us off with an excerpt from one of the books that's being published by the uh, Cool Springs imprint of Quarto? It would be my pleasure. Uh, I'd like to read a little bit of the introduction from a book we have coming out in April called The Elegant and Edible Garden by author Linda Vader. Nothing teaches quite like experience. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, doesn't it? I imagine many of you are in the same boat as I was, just trying to figure it out for yourselves. What comes first? How do you progress? What to try? And ultimately, ways to put your personal stamp on your garden. And while Mother Nature may be the supreme nurturer, she is also a tough disciplinarian who doesn't make learning easy. Nevertheless, I figured it out over time, and so can you. In this book, I want to flatten the learning curve for designing a beautiful, edible garden by sharing common sense tips and inspiration and ideas from my own personal experience of starting a garden from scratch. Even without great expertise, deep pockets, or a makeover television crew, you too can create a garden that appeals to all your senses, a garden that nurtures you, challenges your creativity, and feeds your appetite for joy, beauty, and healthy goodness in a practical, accessible way. How? Like I did, by just doing it. Start your own garden on whatever scale you can and with whatever resources you have. Create a garden that mixes the culinary delights of homegrown food with gorgeous, companionable ornamentals. You, too, can do all of this in an environment that suits you and your home. Think of it as the best kind of horticultural symbiosis, where the end results are far more spectacular to the eye, the palate, and your life than just the sum of the parts. In this book, I share how I, with little knowledge, skill, and resources, managed to create and design such a garden. And yes, as I am so often asked, I did 99% of the designing, digging, planting, and mistake-making myself along the way. I didn't do it all at once, of course. I started small, in scale, and in budget, and with easy-to-tend plants that were often gifted to me by others. I learned as I went, enjoyed each small stage as I progressed, and then moved on to the next phase as I learned more. I ate the elephant that was and is my dream garden one bite at a time, absorbing as much as I could about gardening and garden design along the way. I became a sponge, soaking up bits and pieces of gardening information wherever I could and by paying attention to the landscapes around me. I discovered to my great delight that vegetables, fruits, berries, and nuts are inherently as beautiful as flowering shrubs, stately evergreens, and blooming annuals and perennials. Once I internalized this and liberated myself from the idea that vegetables go in one place in the landscape and flowers, shrubs, and ornamentals go somewhere else, an amazing world of possibilities opened itself to me. Thanks, Jessica. So of all the, I think it's uh, eight or nine titles that are, are coming out in the next couple of months, uh, what about this one spoke to you as as the one that you thought would be good to lead our conversation with? 
Well, I think Linda has such a, a warm and friendly and accessible approach to what can be a really intimidating topic, meaning garden design. Um, a lot of us think we have to have some sort of formal education or we have to spend a lot of money to hire a landscape architect to design a garden for us. When the truth is, we're all capable of doing it ourselves if we have the right kind of guidance. And so the Elegant and Edible Garden really sets you up for that. And it's not just a typical vegetable garden where, you know, you have pepper peppers in a row and tomatoes in a row and onions in a row. Instead, it's all sort of blended together in a really attractive and harmonious way. And I think it's for that reason, it's a pretty groundbreaking book. And in your capacity as editorial director, what makes a book something that you'll consider for your press? Well, I think a lot of different things. You know, obviously, we are looking for um, either an idea that hasn't been done before or an a new approach to an idea that has been done before. So for example, if we're talking about this book, you know, there's a million books on vegetable gardening out there, right? But this is an angle and approach at that subject that's a little different that we really haven't seen before in the market. So we look for that. We also look for a very warm, approachable author, you know, preferably one that has sort of um, uh, interested buyers in tow in terms of their social media presence or their reach um, within the industry. You know, that's very inviting to us as well. Um, and we love to make beautiful books. So if it's, uh, you know, an author that has an idea that we know our art department can really do a lot with, that's another something that that is very, very appealing to us. So let's take a step back in time for a moment. And could you talk a little bit about how you became involved with the press? Yeah, so I, I was an author first. I've actually authored seven garden books um, over the last number of years. And so I did two titles with Cool Springs Press. And they were looking for a new acquisitions editor to bring on board for gardening titles. And the editor that I had worked with at the time had recommended me. And I, I said no, <laughs> because I had been a freelancer for 26 years uh, in garden media, on radio and in print. Um, and I didn't think it would really be something I was interested in. Uh, and so I said no at first. And then I just sort of had a bunch of internal discussions with myself about it, as often happens when you have these opportunities presented to you um, and rolled it around in my head for a little while and, and thought, you know, huh, what do I like about being an author? Well, part of it for me is the process of developing a book and seeing it from start to finish. And I thought, well, what if I like doing this for my own books, wouldn't I also like doing that for other people's books as well and helping them through that process? And so that then I went back, we started conversations about what the job entailed, and it, it just sort of went from there. So I was acquisitions editor for about two years. And then a year or so ago, I was moved up to um, the editorial director for our gardening titles with Cool Springs Press. So it's been an exciting opportunity, and I really, really love the job. And what about the transition from author to, you know, editor has surprised you the most? There's a lot that's been surprising, but there's, a, I think um, it's made less surprising by the fact that I have been an author because I, I feel like in a way that makes me a better editor because I have seen things from that author side. 
Um, it also probably makes me, uh, it is also has downsides too, right? Because sometimes I don't think about things from an editor standpoint. I think about how the author might feel in this situation instead of necessarily how I should feel in that situation as editor. So, um, you know, yeah, there were, there were lots of things that were, it was a steep learning curve for me. Um, but definitely a pleasant one. I've got wonderful, uh, colleagues that I work with at Cool Springs and Quarto. Um, and so they, they sort of were real good at holding my hand through that transition process. And I, I enjoy so much working with our authors as well. We just have such an incredible group of creative authors that we bring in. It's, it's just such fun. And is there one thing that strikes you as being the hardest part of your current job? That's a good question. You know, nobody likes paperwork. <laughs> so that's definitely something that I don't enjoy. It's not necessarily hard. It's more just, you know, the tediousness of having to do paperwork. Um, and I would say also probably, you know, finding the right art for a book can really be challenging. I mean, if, if we're looking, especially with something as visual as gardening can be, we're looking for the exact right picture to go in the exact right space in a book. And sometimes that can be really challenging. You know, we have a, a dedicated photographer to a book project. That's, you know, we know they're going to get the shot, right? They're going to get the money shot. That's what we're paying them for. But if it's a book that's done with a, a bunch of different photographers coming together and the author shooting some of the photography, it can be hard to find the right shot for the right place, but it, it's always worth it in the end. So can we talk a little bit about uh, some of the titles from, from the book, uh, from the press, excuse me. So when someone hears the title of a book called Freestyle Bonsai, most people, if they haven't you know, read the book or are experts, might think that that's a little bit of an oxymoron because people think of bonsai as being you know, very carefully planned out and intricate. So could you talk a little bit about that book and maybe explain the title for our listeners? Absolutely. And I love the title. I love the concept behind this book as well. There's definitely a lot of tradition in bonsai, and that is honored throughout this book 100%. Um, but there's a lot of rules that you have to follow. If you're going to enter bonsai exhibitions um, and actually do a professional career in this, um, there's a lot of rules to follow. But we also know that bonsai can be a really wonderful creative pursuit that can be very relaxing and very create, you know, give you a chance for a creative outlet that's a little bit outside of the box. And I think sometimes people don't step into that because they're a little bit worried that they have to follow some formal rules in order to really be doing bonsai right. So the approach to this book is like, we're going to show you these guidelines, right? We're going to tell you how to do this, but then we're also going to tell you that it's okay to bend those rules. Um, and it's a wonderful husband and wife uh, team. They own a company called the Bonsai Supply. They're the authors of this book, and they've done a beautiful job making something that can seem very intimidating to people very, very approachable. Uh, and it's very step-by-step -step oriented, very unintimidating, um, and they just did a lovely job with it. And it really is freestyle. It's, you know, you you have these rules, but you don't have to follow them. You You're just like making any other piece of art. You're making a piece of living art that should appeal to you first. Um, and that's what the book is all about. So, again, sort of jumping to another title where if someone sees it, they might not necessarily uh, know what to expect or have a clear sense of why this was something that you wanted to publish, Containers in the Garden. So how do you do a book about just containers? Yeah, and this is a this is a very author-driven book. So this is Klaus Dalby, who is a, a famous social media star, um, and he is just phenomenal. 
And his approach is to sort of um, his approach to designing the garden using containers is very Scandinavian style. He's a Danish um, gardener and author and, and social media, um, I would say star for sure. And his approach is very, very unique. And so the book really talks to how he blends colors, how he does these monochromatic sort of color palettes, how he uses a mixture of bulbs and annuals and perennials and shrubs in his containers to really create a very stunning display that we don't see a lot here in North America. But I think it's it's one of those things that's gaining traction um, because it's a design style that has yet to make its way to these shores. And it's always fun to be the first publisher that brings something like that here. And one of your other titles is Four Season Food Gardening, which, again, for someone, you know, hearing of the title or just listening to us now, you know, might say, OK, so food gardening in winter. Yeah, you might be thinking, wait a second, I live in Chicago. What do you mean? Am I, can I grow four seasons of the year? But you can. You have to follow the right techniques. You have to grow the right plants and you have to have a little bit of flexibility uh, with it. But no matter what climate you live in, you can grow food year round. And that's what the book focuses on. It focuses, it goes season by season through the year. We talk, uh, you know, in the spring, here are the crops that you're going to want to plant. Here's when you're going to want to harvest them. And then summer and then fall and then winter, we've got a chapter in there about extending the season. So how do you put up hoop tunnels? Um, how do you use row cover to protect your crops or cloches to cover individual plants? How could you maybe use a greenhouse to grow food in the winter? Or how can you grow it indoors on a windowsill or under grow lights? So we have little projects throughout there that people can employ in their homes, no matter where they live or in their backyards to grow food uh, 365 days a year. And the regenerative garden, what does regenerative refer to there? Yep, so regenerative is, is a term that's used often um, in the permaculture movement. So permaculture is an approach where you are treating your yard and garden really as a living ecosystem, that your goal is to have it be as self-sustaining as possible. So you don't want to be out there, you know, weeding every single weekend and spending all your free time out in your garden, you want to plant a space that is very, very self-sufficient, um, whether that's in terms of your your water use, the amount of care that you have to give it, um, you know, how you manage your soil. So Regenerative Garden is, is about creating that self-sustaining ecosystem. And the book is by um, Stephanie Rose, who has a very popular platform called Garden Therapy. Uh, she has a website and a blog and all the social media platforms to go with it. And it's these projects, it's 80 projects, and they're divided into six different, um, six different categories. Uh, soil, water, plants, climate, ethics, and community. And she presents these projects, which are small things that you can do even in an urban backyard that will make your space more self-sustaining and make it more uh, of an ecosystem that can support not just you as a human, but also wildlife um, and your neighbors and your community as well. So a little earlier, you spoke about wanting to publish books that are either new or have a new angle on something. So if someone sees that you have a title coming out called The Urban Garden, what about that title made it a, a, an appropriate for your, your imprint? Well, we certainly know right now that there's a huge influx of gardeners. With the last two years in particular, because of COVID, we had a huge movement towards 
creating outdoor spaces where we could spend time in with ourselves, with our family and friends, but also growing food. Um, there were 38 million new gardeners in 2021 uh, that started growing food for the very first time. And research is now telling us that about 80% of those folks continue or plan to continue to garden in some uh, respect in their yard, whether it's, you know, indoors doing houseplants or outside growing food, they want to continue to do this hobby. And a lot of folks are doing it in urban environments. So we wanted to really create a book that spoke to those people who grow in very small spaces and that want to maybe grow for different reasons. It might be growing food. It might be attracting pollinators. It might be creating privacy from their neighbors. It might be, um, you know, uh, helping with their pets, right? Providing a place for their pets. It might be entertaining or growing flowers or growing in containers. And so we created the book and divided it um, into, uh, I think it's nine or 11 chapters, each separated by sort of the mission of uh, the items that are contained within that chapter. And then in each one of the chapters are these ideas that they can do and they're very digestible and they're very very easy for people to do you know how do you create a privacy screen out of plants growing container you know only in containers how do you grow a window box garden that you can grow food in how do you run your railings how do you run your fire escape right so it's all of these unique and creative approaches to growing in a small urban space and weed-free gardening is a goal of many if not most gardeners so what does Tasha Greer's book have to add to people's knowledge of the subject? So Tasha's book, Weed-Free Gardening, is, is really a problem-solving book. That's another reason why we might bring a book into our collection. It, it solves a problem for many, many gardeners. Nobody likes weeding, right? <laughs> Nobody is like, yay, let's go out and weed for four hours, right? So we wanted Tasha to create this book. She came to us with the idea and we were like, let's do it because it's an approach to managing weeds before they become a problem in the first place. So it's really a comprehensive plan and strategy to reducing the amount of weeds, understanding and appreciating that some of them do have a place in the ecosystems of our gardens and how to do this all organically without relying on a lot of synthetic chemical herbicides. And I think that's something that almost every gardener I know can get behind because we all want to reduce the workload of our gardens. And what about raised bed gardens? make them suitable for someone who's just starting out, as uh, the uh, book of the First Time Gardener suggests, or at least the title. So this book uh, is a a build. So it's, it will be the third title in a very popular series for us called The First Time Gardener. Again, we've had this huge influx of new gardeners coming into the market who really are starting from ground zero. So the first book in this series was The First Time Gardener Growing Vegetables, then we had the first time gardener growing plants and flowers. And now this spring, we have the first time gardener raised bed gardening. And there are other books out there on raised bed gardening, but this one is unique in that it comes from a very beginner friendly voice who is Callie Kim. And Callie Kim has a YouTube channel that um, speaks specifically to beginner gardeners, beginner food gardeners in particular. She's very, very approachable, very welcoming. Um, and the book is everything. It's everything. You know, how do you look at your space and decide what kind of raised beds you need? How many do you need? How do you build it? How do you plan for this space? Then, you know, she's got design plans in there, step-by-step -step plans for how you build a bunch of different types of 
raised beds um, from ones that require no tools to ones that are a little bit more involved and have trellises that go on them and things like that. Um, what do you fill them with? Then what kind of plants do you plant? You know, a lot of gardeners have questions about, okay, I have this raised bed. It's eight by four feet, but how many plants can I fit into it? And how close can I plant them? And what do I do if one of them dies? Can I plant something in it later, you know, in that space? So she's got these really cool layout and planting plans in the book that are beautifully illustrated where she lists the collection of plants that can go in this size space and here's how you plant one after the other. And here's what the sort of um, the theme of this garden is, whether it's, you know, you're growing vegetables to make your own salsa or you're growing greens to make a smoothie or you're making a pizza garden to make your own pizza sauce and homemade pizzas. Um, so it's a very practical approach that I think new gardeners will appreciate because it's a plan from A to Z, everything that you need to know. So I don't know if it's coincidence or sort of part of your marketing plan, but uh, a number of titles, including this last one we'll discuss, just have have titles that, you know, I, I at least for me sort of arouse curiosity because, you know, they have something a little bit counterintuitive. So your own book that's coming out, uh, I think, in the next couple of months is uh, Attracting Beneficial Bugs to Your Garden. So most people would say, why would you want to attract bugs to your garden? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so this book actually just released, so it is out and available now. And this is a second edition of a book that I originally wrote in 2014. Wanted to update it, add some new voices, some new interesting research and information about beneficial insects. But you're right. I, it's a question I get all the time. You know, aren't aren't bugs bad for your garden? Why would you want to attract them to the garden? It seems counterintuitive, but it's actually absolutely what you want because there's about a million identified insect species on the planet, but less than 1% of them are classified as known agricultural or human pests. So it's actually a very small number of insects that are problematic in the garden. The vast majority of them do a lot of good for us. And I think that it, that gardeners now are just starting to really appreciate this. You know, we hear a lot about pollinators and how, you know, there's a decline in uh, European honeybees and in a lot of our native pollinator populations as well. And so gardeners are planting a lot of flowering plants in their vegetable garden to help improve pollination. But pollinators aren't the only good bugs out there. There's things like ladybugs that help us by eating pests like aphids and mealybugs and many, many others. Uh, but ladybugs are the cover girl, but yet there's tens of thousands of other species of insects in our gardens that help us manage pests. And that's what the book is all about. It's about introducing you to what those insects are, what they can do for you, how they can make you a better gardener, what kind of plants you want to include to attract and support them, and really treating your garden as an ecosystem that's capable of supporting all of these fabulous organisms. And it's a, it's a pretty groundbreaking uh, approach to gardening that I think is now really just taking off in the gardening community. And it's really, really exciting to see. Well, um, we're, we're going to wind up soon, but I can't resist asking a question that, uh, you know, reading your, your, your book that's out now sort of raised. Can you talk a little bit about how learning about slug sex change the uh, arc of your life? <laughs> yeah, you know, I the first line in the book is slug sex is interesting stuff. And the truth is, it really is. Um, I, I tell the story at the start of the book about how I was I was watching 
of course, a David Attenborough documentary from the BBC, and uh, it's called Life in the Undergrowth, and it was out in the early 2000s. And there's this really, I think it's a poignant scene of leopard slugs mating. And it's really fascinating because they hang from this thread of slime from a tree and they twist all around each other and their uh their parts let's just say that are this iridescent blue and they bloom into like this iridescent blue flower like you can google it you can still see that segment on youtube if you google david attenborough slug sex you can see it it's (laughs) i think it's fascinating so it really like it ignited something in me i thought my gosh if that's going on in my backyard at night what the heck else is going on what what else are these fascinating insects and creatures that i basically ignore when i go out into my garden what are they doing you know i always thought of slugs as the devil right because they eat my lettuce but here they are doing something so amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying they're good bugs because they aren't. They really can damage our gardens. But it really just sort of lit that spark that, okay, I need to start paying attention to something in the garden that isn't me and that isn't plants. Well, the stuff is all, all fascinating. Thank you for your time today, Jessica. And thank you, listeners. Again, we've talked about multiple books from uh, Quarto's imprint, Cool Springs Press, with editorial director and author Jessica Walliser. Uh Please join us again soon for the next LitCast. <laughs>